0: Hello, Doc Lowe's. It is I, Bob Sham, and you are now listening to the Documenteers podcast, the podcast about documentaries where each week we discuss a documentary and also in our journey talking about all these documentaries. Each documentary has a very specific story. And so not only do we discuss the documentaries, but we talk about the stories that the documentaries are about. And so, while this is a documentary themed podcast, it's very easy to get, get to gabbing it up about life and the things that happen in history and today. And this episode is no exception. This is an in theaters edition. And I've been enjoying popping these on you on Fridays, on some random Fridays. The in-theaters editions are, well, this one may or may not be in a theater near you. I think some of these indie docs, they kind of float around the country. If you hear about this film, Bisbee 17, By Robert Greene. You can go watch the trailer on it. You can grasp very quickly what it is about. In 1917, a bunch of Mexican-Americans and uh, immigrants from Slovakian eras, Eastern Europe, were escorted by gunpoint out of this mining town of Bisbee for starting a workers' union. Apparently, they wanted some uh, equality and a whole town was like, get the fuck out. We should also point out, we didn't mention this in the episode, that the federal government did eventually lay down the charge that this was completely illegal, but no, no one went to jail, no charges specifically against any person forever filed. It was uh, just kind of uh, moved, moved on. Not even a slap on the wrist, really. But this story is not just about that. See, today in the 100-year anniversary, the Bisbee of today, the townsfolk, are reenacting that deportation, and that's what this movie, this documentary by Robert Greene, is all about. Who's joining me in this episode, why it is A2, A2, who actually helps... With the theme, the beats of the, the documenteer's theme, A2 has come in in a pinch with me, but he doesn't want to be called A2. That's not his real name. He doesn't want to be called his real name. He would like to be called, and this is who he is from here on on the documenteers, Eldridge Alan Arnautovich. You can just call him Eldridge. He's an old friend of mine. and He's going to step up with me with these in theaters episodes. And you're probably going to hear him again very soon as we will reveal within the episode. Well folks, hope you're having a happy November geared up for Thanksgiving, my personal favorite holiday. Go out and vote and please, please keep on docking. Now here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel.
1: Okay, we will be loading you on rail cars. Enjoy the AC while you got it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was like, look, yeah, we get it. You can do this. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's not on me to defend. Your belief.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. It's your job. My job is to poke holes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I will. Yeah. (laughs) The best I could do is be like, constitutionally, you're you have the right to that religion. That's the best I could do.
1: No, take no constitutional cop out, eh?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't call it a cop out. I feel like I'm giving you an uh that's the best olive branch I can give to any religion. That's true. It's like, hey, well I don't believe the government should come down upon you. Fair enough. It's the height of tolerance, I suppose. Religion and government should be separate.
1: Yeah. Let's be real. There's only two real religions.
0: I'm not. I'm going to let you decide which ones they are <laughs> Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. How'd you know? <laughs> that's yeah. True.
1: yeah. I need to work harder at being more cryptic.
0: Oh, Scientology, too. Yeah. That was a real yeah. close. That's
1: a close third. Yeah. Really close. It was a fight between that one and Mormonism.
0: Oh my gosh. We are here. It's another in theaters edition. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing quite all right. Wait, what is that voice? Hey. Who is that? Hello. This is a new person.
1: <clears throat>
0: what is your name? What, what do you want to be called? You can just call me Eldridge? Eldridge. Eldridge okay eldridge no 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 you can call me a2 that's just
1: fine a2 you that's just you me? want to stick with a2 i would gonna stick with it until you call until you start calling me eldridge i'll call you eldridge <laughs> yeah
0: let's just do that that's like your stage name that's my stage name yeah that's great yeah i love it eldridge mm-hmm. i gotta keep remembering <laughs> hold on i am going to write that down please,
1: please write it down i don't want i swear to god i'll walk out of this room right now
0: <laughs> don't fucking disrespect me like this now folks <laughs> You may uh, not recognize Eldridge's voice, but Eldridge has been actually a part of this podcast since the very beginning. Our original theme, those beats, those creepy beats you hear at the beginning following like the episode drop, he's given one up to Jehovah or uh, or the angel Moroni, mm-hmm. one of those. We need to combine Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses with a pinch of Scientology.
1: I feel like that'd be the one
0: true religion. And a dash of Nation of Islam.
1: Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, who doesn't look good in a black suit with a black bow tie? Right. I like the glasses. (laughs) Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. We all like to look nice. We all like to eat bean pies. It's good. Is that something they do? Uh, Yes. Nation of. Uh, Just to preface this, I am a black person. I know my voice doesn't read super black, but. Just so I can get away with saying all this weird shit I'm about to say. Yes, they like bean pies. It's it's a common thing.
0: When I had a kill here with the Rachel Divide episode, mm-hmm. I acknowledged he was black and he was like, well, I wasn't going to tell anyone. You think I'm going to be the only white person? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to bring another white person to talk about a transracial woman?
1: Yeah. No, I feel the need to proclaim my blackness anywhere I go. Just It's just what I do.
0: Well, good. Yeah. Your blackness is welcome here at the Shamco Studios. Oh, thank you. Studios. I appreciate it. You are an old friend of mine, Eldridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I actually say your real name, let me know. You better edit that shit out. I will. I'm Absolutely. a private
1: person who likes to put everything on social media.
0: Yeah, but I stopped <laughs> tagging other co-hosts in my Instagram account because yeah. mm-hmm. not everyone on the show has an Instagram account. Like, sure, I don't have a Twitter, yeah. I'm not on Facebook, but we do have a Facebook fan page. Mm-hmm. But it seems weird because now I have... My show Instagram and my personal Instagram, mm-hmm. and I've become real stingy with my personal one. Yeah, I keep them wanting more. It's like, hold up, hold up. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's real funny and y'all, but I need to, <laughs> but I keep forgetting to put it on private because yeah. before the show, I didn't care because now I'm like, I was going to say famous. That's way too strong a word. Oh, okay. Oh, no. God,
1: you went Hollywood already. No, okay. It's All not right. even
0: close. Right. No, I, I appreciate the humbleness. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just working on Nashville. Hell. Mm-hmm. I still got a ways there too. Yeah, stay humble. Bitch, be humble. Holla, bitch, sit down. Stay humble. I appreciate <laughs> it. This man's a big head. Stay <laughs> humble. Sit down. <laughs> Eldridge, I've known you for a long time. You yeah, did yeah. the theme. You do mm-hmm. the theme. Yep, that's right. I hope to utilize more of your music in the future. hmm.
1: Once I get over my writer's block. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Your beater's block. <laughs> yeah, beater's block. Ooh, that's, mm, that's a little.
1: yeah come on go on go
0: on (laughs) but i welcome you because i was in a pinch there's this movie it's still shown at the bell court it's called Bisbee 17 by robert green i needed to talk about this movie i needed to watch this movie Mm -hmm. admittedly i came at people at the very last minute and everyone was busy and then i was like wait a goddamn minute i know somebody who has been spiritually involved with the document for a while now yeah he can come and do this. I'm
1: kind of like the documented side piece, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm not always there, but like when you're like late at night, you're like, man, this guy gets this, like, I'll just step on in. It's like no commitment. It's no big deal.
0: Once a year we take a, a little vacay to yeah. the Caribbean.
1: Yeah. Or even like we just take a little weekend trip to Gatlinburg and get like a love chalet.
0: It's, it's super hot for like a weekend and then we go about yeah. our regular yeah, it's no big deal. lives man yeah. But it's so fucking dripping hot. <laughs> oh boy. There's- <laughs> Why does it always go here with us? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. So Eldridge, they don't know where it goes with us because yeah. this is the first time they're hearing our dynamic. Sure. This is our banter. Uh, your musician yeah. name is A2. Correct. That's because your middle name is Alan. Eldridge, Allen, What's your last name again? Look, let's not
1: get too far into my personal <laughs> life, okay? How dare you, first of all? <laughs> I just got here. You're already. Pri- no, no, I will not dignify that with a response. Eldridge, Allen. Mm-mm.
0: I refuse vitch. But <laughs> 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 well, we went and saw, we went to our beloved Court. the best thing to do in a very expensive part of town. Yes. I feel like I need to point that out. Yeah, yeah, the part of town that we go every time we do Court. Very expensive. In theater episodes. Mm-hmm. Y'all know how it is. Yeah. We, in every big city, we got these part of town. Nashville has like 10 parts of these towns. They at all least.
1: look the same.
0: They kind of all do.
1: It's the sort of place where you can get that uh, artisanal, like room temperature, hardened water, sort of like anything with artisan in front of it, or I don't know, small batch. They have it there.
0: Man, Uh, Bellevue, they're starting to build Bellevue to look like Hendersonville. It's very mm, weird.
1: That's, hmm, I don't know if we need to go there. Indian Lakes area. Yeah.
0: This is Nash Talk, just for the locals. Yeah. Hey, welcome to Nash Talk. Because we shoot in Nashville. We just go see Bisbee 17 by Robert Green. Yeah. Robert Green is a director. Sure is. An editor. He's edited a lot of things. He's directed a lot of things. And uh two movies other than this, the ones that came out before this one, he did one called Actress. He follows around an actress who was on The Wire, Teresa Diagostino. Oh, yeah. She's great. And he followed her around as she's trying to get back into her acting life. So this is an actor trying to get back in the game. Right. That was on a beloved show that... We all like. I love The Wire.
1: Yeah, submit it. Everyone loves The Wire. If you haven't seen The Wire, you should go out and see it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And if you haven't heard anyone tell you in a while to go see The Wire, if you haven't seen it, then congratulations. We're the ones that are doing that now.
1: Oh, you haven't seen The Wire? Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's a podcast called You haven't seen The Wire? (laughs) (laughs) Question mark, exclamation point. It's out there. And he did a movie called Kate Plays Christine about this actress who's playing a real-life person by the name of Christine Chubbuck. Christine Chubbuck was famous for being the first suicide on live television in 1974. Christine Chebuk was a news anchor out of Sarasota, and she took her own life on air. And so, Green is directing a film, another actor film, who's playing this very dark corner of television history in America. Bisbee 17, Bisbee, Arizona, is this where it takes place. I didn't know anything about this before seeing this movie. I mean, I learned that it was a thing when I saw the trailers for it, but I didn't know this happened. Bisbee, Arizona in 1917. These mining companies rallied a bunch of people up together around 2000 people, escorted these immigrant workers out of town. I think it was about 1500 total, escorted them out of town into New Mexico and was like, don't come back to town. Or you'll be sorry. A deputy did get killed, and a miner, a striking miner, was also killed because one miner was like, Oh, hell no. Oh,
1: hell no. <laughs> you know, get off my property.
0: Actually, it wasn't the government, it was like a mining company. Yeah, close enough. This was during World War II, and this town was churning out copper like crazy. Real quick World War One. Did I say two? Sure did. <laughs> World War II, One, a great <laughs> the, war. The, the greatest war. Bisbee, Arizona was churning out copper. I think it was the copper capital of the United States. That's right. This town was making bank, but they also were being really shitty, these mining companies, to workers who were Mexican and from Eastern Europe. And the conditions for them were very bad, and so they decided to form a workers' union. What's that workers' union called? IWW. International Workers Weekend. The International
1: Industrial Workers of
0: the world. Industrial Workers of the world., yeah. and they all got marched out. And I was trying to look to see if women and children were marched out too. right. I found surprisingly little on a surface review, no information. the leaders of the town told everyone to keep all the women and children off the streets. And it doesn't say explicitly that women and children were escorted out. But some of these yeah. miners had to have had families. Fifteen hundred miners—they don't have wives and children, or I don't know. I I want I want to read a book on on the Bisbee scenario.
1: Yeah, I feel like there was more to be said about it. I mean, the documentary to me. Uh, really did a good job of talking about the wounds in the town, but there was nothing really about aftermath. I felt like they were using the townspeople to tell the story, and the documentary really just, they didn't really give a lot of service to the actual events that happened. Which, yeah. I mean, that's fine. I, I think that was just the style of the documentary, but I did
0: notice that. I mean, maybe no women and children were marched out. Maybe a lot of these migrant workers were from surrounding areas or something. Sure where they were shipped off to was not too far from Bisbee. They went to uh, another state, New Mexico. Sure.
1: In the middle of the desert. And apparently
0: they were bounced around New Mexico until they had to settle in a very mm-hmm. small area. The town justified their actions because, oh, they're damning the war effort. Oh, the result yeah. wasn't by the mining company who are making killer profits by forcing these migrants to work in shitty, shitty conditions. They were making crazy profits, so they made it about patriotism to mm-hmm. force... 1500 people at gunpoint to leave town and right. never come back under threat of death because right. they had snipers set up i mean Did they had machine gun nests on top of where they were holding these people in this uh, ballpark the mining companies pulled people from this town of doug called douglas to assist sure. in the deportation and this story is told because this takes place in the 100th anniversary of this event and it's told through people in the town for various reasons. In the 70s, this town got revitalized and a a, a lot of hippies started moving in, so the Mm -hmm. hippy-dippy shit (laughs) started coming in. And that kind of helped revitalize the town because over time, the mines would dry up. And Mm -hmm. these mines are just these two very impressive pits.
1: Quite impressive (laughs) pits. Dug into the (laughs)
0: earth right by this town. Almost majestic in a way. Yeah, I can see that. It's like very impressive. And there's beautiful shots in this movie that would pan over just to constantly remind you of what this was all about.
1: Well, the cinematography I thought was really good. But one thing that stood out to me was the people in the town, it was almost like, uh, you know, you go to like a family cookout or a reunion, someone gets really drunk, drama goes down, and then it's like years later, oh, we don't talk about that. Yeah. In the town, they never, it seemed like they were reticent to talk about this event at all, but it was this thing that looms over, it's, it is this thing that still looms over everyone in the town's lives. I don't know if it was intentional, but I felt like the cinematographer, oh, I'm thinking of, sure, they have this huge pit where they're cutting out the earth, but then they have these giant mounds of where they're pulling the earth out from these mines. And it's almost like the town is always under the shadow of this horrible mining sort of deal (laughs) where it's just like, yeah, hey, I don't know if he was trying to do that. I felt like he was trying to get very, I almost felt like I was being hit over the head with it.
0: For sure. And the town is recreating this in like Mm -hmm. a play, basically. Right. I think this is stemmed from Robert Greene's direction, this play. So there is like acting performances in it, but it's not so far in it that you ever forget that these are people in the town pretending to be people a hundred years ago. Right. A part of me, when I was watching this movie, I'm like, is this like a little Clint Howard hybrid going on? Mm. But I don't, I don't think so because sure. it went back and forth very seamlessly. You would have people in their roles doing their part in that same scene. It would cut to them. You wouldn't hear Robert's voice. Really? Never heard it. did we? No. To them, like asking a question that Robert ob- obviously had asked. There's a lot of setup stuff in here. You can tell that Robert really wanted very specific shots throughout this movie. But the stories, and the personal experiences mm-hmm. of the people we meet, that's not scripted.
1: No, it's not scripted at all. I did like how they set up these shots where it almost felt like I was watching a behind the scenes of a documentary, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like how some documentaries will have the reenactment portion. So they had that, but then... The documentary would focus on the making of the reenactment, so it was almost like this weird inception documentary thing going on.
0: It was like it was a the a behind the scenes of a, a of a three part PBS series. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> like, where the budget's just not quite there, but they're trying to doing their best.
0: It's like everyone's, you know, they're not getting paid a lot for these recreations. No. <laughs> But they got their heart into it. Oh,
1: yeah. They they got people from the local dinner theater out there. Like, literally, they do have local actors in, in the re- recreation, which was I thought was kind of cool.
0: And so Robert Greene is dealing with the awkward world of acting within real environments. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a theme in his films with actress Kate Plays Christine and now Bisbee 17. few people in this movie are real actors, but most people just seem to be regular people that have like everyday lives here in Bisbee.
1: Surprising amount of actual descendants of the people uh, that were in Bisbee. I I was able to piece together, I think it was Richard and Doug, two brothers who had family. One of them was part of the posse that rounded up people and the other brother, one of their ancestors, he was actually deported by the posse. And they both ended up (laughs) replaying those parts, which I thought was, uh, you could tell it took a toll
0: on on both of them. You're talking about uh the Ray brothers. Mel Ray, he ends up playing his grandfather, Edward Cook. Oh, that's... Yeah. And his brother, Steve Ray, mm-hmm. plays his great-uncle. It was his great-grandfather. And then Steve Ray plays his great-uncle, who yeah, was it. Yeah. forcibly deported mm-hmm. by... Their great grandfather. So sure. we're talking brother against brother in this town. civil war type stuff happening. That's what, that's what they say about that war. Brother against brother, brother against brother. <laughs> they say a lot about that war. Actually.
1: Yeah, they, they do say a lot, but I feel like I hear the most
0: brother versus brother.
1: Their family dynamic was really, uh, with the brothers and their interaction with their mother. That's when I started getting a little irritated in the movie hmm. because, the mom was, I think it's because of the whole, they're good, you know, I could see both sides. And yeah. personally, I can't see both sides of people exercising their right to organize being brutally squashed by this mining company. I was like, there's not good people on both sides. Hey, your family that deported these people, they're kind of bad people. I'm sorry. I know it's complicated, but at the end of the day, good people do terrible
0: things. Uh, no, it's not, it's not complicated because doing mm. the right thing is the hardest thing to do. And, exactly. Uh, one apologist in the movie was talking about how... These mining companies, the Phelps Dodge Company, the Calumet and the Arizona Company, these were the big mining companies in town, how they paid out, like, for example, Phelps Dodge paid out the most, but that's because they had the most workers and were pulling the most copper. It didn't mean they were paying everyone an equal wage.
1: In some cases, that could mean that, sure, they were paying out the most, but per capita, I mean, what what were they actually giving these people? Not a word of that.
0: Eastern European igra- immigrants, and Mexican-Americans, which it's Arizona. There's tons sure. of mexican American.
1: I was struck by, uh, there was a woman that was, do- I think it was, was it Lori McKenna? I think that was the, the woman. She ha- she was an artist in town. She had this art project. She's doing, you know, like that whole thing you do in school where you put down like a coin and you rub it, get the little impression. She's doing that for each name that was deported. And all I saw were Slavic names, like Latin names. Yeah. To me, it was very clear what was going on in this town.
0: But yeah, people were being discriminated against, and it was harsh working conditions. And when they complained, they were like, hey, we need some representation because no one's going to help you. You got to help yourself, and you got to help each other in your community. And instead of saying, and boy, this sounds familiar, instead Mm -hmm. of saying, you know what, let's make you equal to these white miners and these bigwigs, let's actually... Bend the narrative to make you unpatriotic. Right. Let's uh, question your patriotism for not willing to break your back for little to nothing. That's a classic move. And, oh my God, you're yeah. undermining the war effort. Let's basically kidnap them and ship them out of town. I can't think of another way
1: to describe it. I mean, these people were definitely taken away against their will for doing a very patriotic act, which is standing up for their rights and speaking peacefully about what they need and want to to know that they got zero concessions they had a list of demands on a single demand it's, i find that to be ludicrous
0: whatever man unless someone is just like straight up beware of anyone that openly questions the patriotism of a people
1: especially when that person is in a very very cushy position yeah. You have to question that. I mean, anyone
0: who's in a position a power of power or great wealth who says they're not being patriotic never trust anyone who's mm-hmm. defining patriotism for an entire other group of people. Especially when patriotism just happens to be towing the company line. And this is my opinion, and I'd love to hear... Anyone else's opinion on it at Dr. podcast at gmail.com. In this country, based upon the li- liberties we supposedly have, we have to constantly hone the sword to keep these liberties going because often our society can fail us and we got to, you know, fight back sometimes. But say you got a guy who's like, he burns an American flag and he says, I hate this fucking country. Fuck this country. I'm lighting this flag on fire. Because constitutionally he is allowed to do that, no matter how much he says he's doing it because he hates the country, it is a representative act of being an American. Exactly. It's almost it's ironic, because he might be a fucking dick, and you might disagree with him, but his inherent liberty to do so is actually a patriotic act.
1: Yeah, and it is ironic, but I feel, feel like our country is... Founded on these ironic situations, or what is the other word for irony? It's not necessarily irony, but these sort of like double standards, where we have a Bill of Rights, uh, Declaration of Independence, written on a plantation where people are enslaved. So I feel like the very nature of our country is this. That's a, I don't want to say a lie, because that sounds so loaded. But I mean,
0: yes, it's a lie. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, we had we have an ideology, you know, that yeah. we've always pushed up, and I believe that. That ideology is pretty strong. It's it's the narrative that we've always felt like we were at. Right. The truth is, we've never been totally there. Uh, we should have the momentum to go in that direction. But if you think that it's all like that right now, and you're mm-hmm. just incorrect. Uh, at Fahrenheit 11.9, Kill and I did that episode. Uh-huh. I knew this episode was going to go this way. <laughs> I mean, how can it not?
1: How can it not? You have the man... Against the people, come on,
0: you literally had uh people going across the West using religion as a rationale to destroy a native people who had been here for millennia before you know white yeah. Europeans ever got here. It was their whiteness backed up by their so-called faith that they felt like that they were justified to basically just take whatever they wanted as they expanded, hmm. and they made deals, and these tribes often had no choice but to say, okay. We'll we'll do it like this. And then the rules would change on them constantly. Mm-hmm. And now it's literally we, our knowledge of that culture of native American culture is so minimal. That's right. like the biggest shame. Like we should have our introduction to American history should be the first one should be the thick book that just has you know, native American people in it. Exactly. And then the second book is when the white colonists show up and, mm-hmm. and the people mm-hmm. they've enslaved and brought here. Yeah. But the first thick-ass book should be the Native American history, but we just didn't absorb that much. I love it in, in uh, the homes of Southerners, they'll have... Uh, <laughs> I know like, where you're going with this. They'll have <laughs> pictures of, like, wolves, right? And, like, yeah. a, uh, a, an Indian chief's head in the clouds. <laughs> yeah. It's like, And everyone says they're, like, half Cherokee. Yeah. And it's like, oh, most of us are not.
1: It's true. It's very much true. Most of us aren't. And the funny thing about those paintings, too, is there'll be some Native American with, I don't know, they'll be like, I'm half Cherokee, but... The Native American painting will be of this, like, clearly Plains Indian with, like, the Plains Indian, like, gigantic feather headdress. And it's like, mm, I don't think they did that in uh, Native American cultures this side of Mississippi. But no, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Just uh, go ahead and do the stereotype.
0: It's fine. It's interesting what people pick and choose about the cultures they want. Plenty of people in this country that do have Native American blood in them. Right. Right. But it's funny that like, if you were really attuned with the ways of those people, you would inherently be like extremely environmentalist. Exactly. For example, because yeah. spiritually they were connected to nature mm-hmm. and the idea of like harming that is just absurd. Exactly. And so, but I think you got a lot of people that are claiming like they co-opt the government oppression of them right. and then assert it onto themselves. This is what these Alex Jones motherfuckers are doing. The things that they talk about, like the police states and Mm -hmm. the government uh, conspiracies against, systematic government conspiracies against the people, they actually co-opted that from people of other races who it literally was happening to for hundreds of years. It's like a way of whitewashing,
1: not whitewashing, it's a way of absolving yourself of any sort of responsibility of the privilege that you receive of being the dominant culture. And it gives you an out from ever having to think about it or ever having to challenge yourself to check your, God, I can't believe I'm saying this. But these people don't want to check their privilege, bro.
0: <laughs> it's kind of funny how even these far right dudes, the way that they victimize themselves is co-opted from brown, black, mm-hmm. and red oh, people. Yeah. Is that so funny? Like, even they're trying to preserve some measure, like, what about European culture? The only thing that signifies you from Europe is just the color of your fucking skin. Oh, God, man. You're ripping, You're even in your whiteness, you're ripping off people of color and minorities. It's like, if I have to hear
1: one more time about, what about the Irish? It's like, fuck off about the Irish, okay? I get it. It was terrible. But it's like, they were not enslaved. It's just, there wasn't a whole, ju- yes. There was no Irish signs. I understand that. I fully understand the plight of Irish people. I actually very, very respectful of it. Legit rough, yeah. But it was legit rough. But come on, guys. It's like just because you had a rough too. Like I don't think. I think the problem is like with not only with this Bisbee documentary and just anything that's related to race. People are so afraid of it. They want to immediately latch on the one time that they or their ancestors experienced oppression. They want to put on themselves. That is like the shield against any sort of conversation be had about how they're gaining from their privilege, how other people are being put upon because of their privilege. It's just a, a whole sham being perpetrated by these
0: folks. For our Irish listeners, uh, I just want to say fuck the English. <laughs> and for our English <laughs> listeners, I want to say except you. Yeah.
1: And full, full disclosure, I did do my DNA background report. I am solidly 15% uh, Irish, English, so
0: I can say this. 15% Irish. 15%. Oh, wow. I'm like a good half.
1: I'm sorry. Actually, it's 10%. other 5% is just an amalgam of weird shit. I'm not going to get into it.
0: Yeah, I got plenty of that, too. Semitic and shit. It's weird. (laughs) Well, like a little bit, you know?
1: I've got the World Series of Oppression in here right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to claim that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I do have some ancestors that would do some shit. Yeah, everyone does, but that's not my struggle. But I think the thing that um, I kind of connected a lot with m- the environment that I grew up in, when you're hearing like the guy who played uh, Walter Douglas, he's the the com- the big company man, the bigwig, mm-hmm. is very much an apologist for the actions of the companies because he he said straight up, "I am a company man." That's right. Wasn't he
1: the president of the company at one point? Yeah. Yeah, so he definitely had a lot to gain. So he's
0: playing the head of the company in 1917, Walter Douglas. I forgot the man's name. I'm sorry. But he's straight up being like, they had to do what they had to do. Sure. There's this thing, and I think, you know, growing up a white Southerner and, you know, my mother's side of the family, they're from the South. And I think there's a little bit of this in terms of, like, my father's side of the family in the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. It's like everyone has their versions of the history that they're proud of. Well yeah. there's something that always is interesting to me whereas people think that well they were related to me so they must be good people. Oh of course I hear that yeah. They were they were my blood so they must be good people. No. No. No, my family on my mother's side, slaveholders sure. straight up. Yeah. And they were apparently doctors. Uh, the Ustries were doctors yeah. in the Civil War. That means they probably had some money going into that war. Of course. They probably had some plantations actions going on in that war. Can't, can't deny it. <laughs> and, uh, and did they go broke after the Civil War? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Did they maybe deserve that If since they were perpetuating the enslavement of people? Yeah, they did. Yeah, of course. Now, here I am. Yeah, they came. They nutted at each other, and eventually <laughs> I showed up. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate Thanks. that nut. But that doesn't make them good people. No. And I'm not going to make excuses for shitty things yeah. that my ancestors did.
1: Well, at the same time, though, I understand that people, everyone's ancestors, doesn't matter what color or class you are, everyone's ancestors did something terrible because times changed.
0: Yeah. A lot of, uh, after the Civil War, a lot of freed slaves became Buffalo soldiers. Yeah went out west and
1: did all kinds of horrible stuff Fucked up some native
0: americans <laughs> i know absolutely
1: so thing i mean if you're in the black community you always look to that like oh yeah we have buffalo soldiers we're part of this country and my first thought is always yeah they're out west and i don't really know if i want to be very proud of that chapter in black history i mean i'm proud but at the same time it, ooh, it's, uh, it's a little complicated
0: yeah not a lot of options but yeah it just seemed like Every rock you turned over was just something Mm -hmm. you didn't want to look at. Mexican-American communities at the time would get raided and scalped just to pass off because they could pass their scalps off as Native American scalps. Yeah, black hair, sure. And make money off of it. Mm -hmm. But Walter Douglas, I mean, it's just wrong to force (laughs) migrate people. Yeah, it is. I I know. To us, it's (laughs) not black and white. I think these people have complicated relationships because it is their family. right? With the Ray brothers who played their great-grandfather and their great-uncle, I felt like I wanted some kind of an emotional resolution with them. I felt like I wanted something to go somewhere. Maybe they talk about how they felt about it. Maybe Steve is more, he understands his Uncle Archie a little more, who was was standing up for workers' rights. Mm -hmm. Also, it wasn't just minors in this union that got walked out. Oh, really? Who else? were Anyone who sympathized. Them. Oh, that's right. People who ran uh, stores that mm-hmm. were like, look, they didn't work in the mines, but they were like, look, I'm sympathetic to your cause. I understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Those people were also walk the fuck out of town. Oh, yeah. This is a true story. <laughs>
1: yeah. And and the funny thing is, it's not like this was hundreds of years ago. This was just the last century. We're just at a little over 100 years from from this point. I don't know. It's It's... It's nothing new. It's nothing new for our country or any other country for that matter, really. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about a few players in this because remember well, like we said, they're performing basically a street play. They're reenacting this. There's not thousands of people. I think you know the the union men they are they measure out to like a, a few dozen people. Yeah, yeah. it's not like at that scale, but the the camera loves this kid. His name is Fernando. Serrano. Oh, yeah. Camera loves this kid. And he we we are introduced to this kid as he starts walking. uh, Robert Green loves to videotape people walking. That seems to be kind of a trope in documentaries. Sure. Like quiet scenes of walking. And we've Robert Green's cinematics are probably amongst the most beautiful we've seen all year. On the document here, or myself you've mm. only been on this so. it's best best cinematography i've seen so far it, is, it, it, <laughs> it this is a beautiful film it is quite beautiful and fernando we're introduced to him when he wa- starts walking and he walks for a long time and he walks through an old theater that was probably there in, in 1917. sure great orbital shot just circling around this kid as he's going interesting stuff and you're like where is this going and then he gets on the stage and he says the person that he's playing we're focused a lot on the journey of the character he's playing He's a guy that signs up for the union. He plays uh, a Mexican American person. The dude who's playing the guy who recruits him into the union. Oh, he was cool as hell. He's like the old cowboy guy. Yeah, he was super cool. He shows a picture of himself on like a of himself on like a bronco. Oh yeah. He said it was fifty seven years ago. His body was definitely looked stronger, but mm-hmm. he had the exact same exact face. same face. It was kind of weird. He looks exactly the same. I'm pretty sure he's a Highlander.
1: <laughs> yeah, well,
0: an old Mexican man, yeah. but he plays the guy who recruits him. You mentioned Lori McKenna. She's an artist. She she, kinda, she represents a lot of that because keep in mind, this mine would fail probably two times over over the years. Like I said, in the 70s, the hippies showed up. I think Lori McKenna represents a lot of that. She was definitely in that wave of hippies that showed up. <laughs> and uh, that kind of that definitely changed. the The town always has this... What is the equivalent we might think of? Maybe like Asheville or something? Yeah, or like Paducah, Kentucky or something like that. Paducah, wow. Paducah, Paducah, if you wanna, you can rhyme it with bazooka, but you can't poo-poo Paducah. That's another name for paradise. Paducah's an artsy little town. Really?
1: Surprisingly, yeah, go up there, check it out. I will i will fine. <laughs> fine. Someday. I'm not going to Paducah.
0: Paducah, ah, Paducah. Just a pretty little city in Kentucky. But to me, it
1: rhymes with lucky when I'm looking into two blue eyes.
0: <laughs> I love you, Paducah. No, that's not true. I mean, if you just walked into this movie three-fourths of the way through, you're like, yeah. oh, my God, they're marching smelly, unvaccinated hippies out of this town. <laughs> Which... We could debate that. Yeah, we could all day long. (laughs) Should should we? (laughs) Do we have a final solution for this hippie problem? I mean, we're deporting them for their, not for things that they're born with, but because they need to to get vaccinated, these dirty fucking hippies.
1: Yeah, vaccinate your kids, people. (laughs) Look, I'm a
0: very liberal guy, but hippies, bro. (laughs) Bro, come on, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm a special breed. Like, I'm very progressive, but I'm (laughs) like, shut up, (laughs) hippie. But, you know, they're on the right side in this movie. They they have their heart goes out to the people that were genuinely oppressed. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had a friend, I forget the lady's name, an important lady who tried to get to the telegraph to get stuff out because the companies shut down communications for apparently days to weeks.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. Nothing in,
0: nothing out. So, you know, they knew this is wrong. You know it's wrong when you're not allowing communications. Like, that is, <laughs> if you want to write a, a thesis on oppression, I'm sure uh, old Uncle Adolf was like, send me, yeah. <laughs> write to me a paper.
1: <laughs> it was perfect timing, actually.
0: He probably re- read read the Bisbee, the Bisbee reports. He was like, hmm. I mean, it was kind hmm. of odd, the parallels, that
1: they put people on cattle cars in 1917. Hitler puts people on cattle cars. It. I was struck by it. I was very uncomfortable by the whole cattle car scene, quite frankly.
0: There's a guy. He plays the sheriff. Actually, he goes from being sheriff to full-on criminal. So to think of this guy as a lawman.
1: Mm-hmm. But he's
0: the guy that led the deportation. His name was John Greenway. Mm-hmm. He's played by a dude named, I believe, James West.
1: Oh, yeah. This is a big mountain of man right here
0: and he 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 really seems to embody his role oh yeah very he t- well took it very seriously a little too seriously if you ask me and uh no i'm sorry i got that backwards it was harry wheeler was the sheriff and the guy who plays john greenway was this actor named james West.
1: yeah, yeah. i think he said that
0: oh i thought yeah. i had it backwards. no he
1: said james west he plays john greenway they're
0: both into these roles though yeah they are they're very into it when we meet james he's in this house and he says Yeah, this is my girlfriend's house. (laughs) It's like, all right. (laughs) And it's like, and if you look at the decoration in this house, it appears that his girlfriend is probably 83 at the minimum. Everything was a floral decoration everywhere. Mm -hmm. One of the, you know, those couches that old people like that don't look comfortable at all.
1: I think the only thing that was missing was one of those uh, little portraits of just two hands praying. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I bet there was like a footprints in the sand Uh, somewhere. At least a clock
1: with it in the background.
0: Uh, It was then that I carried you. Oh, snap. Mm. Profound. Look, what happened
1: prof- when you look back?
0: <laughs> okay. Turned a pillar of salt or something. <laughs> he lives with his girlfriend. Typical actor. He basically admits that he's crashing at his girlfriend's house. He's couch surfing right now. And you can look at that house. You can tell that his influence is not in that house. He has
1: no say in that house.
0: I think he's the he's like um, the gigolo of the house. I'm yeah. willing to guess. I think he pulled off. Yeah. But, you know, good for him, man. No shame there. Yeah,
1: no shame. No shame. It's 2018.
0: But he embodies. His role as a head asshole in the deport squad. Oh, yeah. And he talks to Fernando at some point. They're having a casual conversation about the roles that they're going to play. It seems like James is kind of talking on behalf of these miners. He's like, and he's like, well, these people, they wanted to preserve uh, what they felt like was their way of life. And they felt threatened by what they saw as outsiders. And Fernando was like, well, no, the white people are the outsiders because the brown people were already here.
1: Oh, snap.
0: Oh yeah, it was a perfect, just, it was a perfect comeback. I mean, they were polite about it. They were, they were small town polite about it. They oh, yeah. weren't, we're not seeing, I think the the racism in the now is there, but it's like sure. a lot more subtle. It's not necessarily like there's a instant wall up. Right. And I think to the credit of this, I believe it's probably all a concept by Robert Greene and maybe people in this town. This is an interesting way to come to terms right. with this history. And at the very least, I got to give him credit for not shoving it you know, under the bed.
1: Yeah, they did do a good job of all that. It was funny to me that uh, the person who played John Greenway, James West, his old job before he became an actor, he worked for a prison and part of his job was literally deporting Mexican-American, like pretty much anyone from south of the border, deporting them back home yeah. on prison planes. So it was just a little tee on the nose for me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. So you got out of a uh, prison job and decided to take this gig,
0: uh, deporting people again. All right. He probably gave a lot of acting tips in this regard. <laughs> sure. And we meet a kid. I forget his name, but Tombstone is close to this area. Yeah. Yeah. And this kid, he's an actor at Tombstone. And it's interesting how we meet him because he does that, uh, busking to get people to come in and then he looks at the camera and then introduces himself he's a small town actor total in, ham yeah to tell. but he's he seems good at it and he oh, seems yeah. impassioned by it in a way and he would go to bisbee to play one of the unionized people who get force supported
1: what'd you think of his subtle bit of shade I felt like there was some shade between uh tombstone and bisbee <laughs>
0: yeah because bisbee well they said that tombstone has the fake history bisbee has the real history fair enough people want the tombstone story everyone doesn't want to admit the bisbee story
1: fair enough to him because tombstone was basically the story of a couple groups of dudes who acted tough and got shot
0: Earp, right yeah the okay corral right
1: Yeah, yeah exactly bisbee this is true human drama at bisbee
0: but there's this place uh the warren ballpark this is a very important ballpark it was built in 1909 and someone in the film claimed that it's the oldest multi-functioning sports park that exists in the country that hasn't been torn down or redone. Yeah, continuously operated. And this place is very important in the history of this act because when people were rounded up, they were marched out to this ball field. They were like, All right, you need to like go back to work or you're gonna get the <laughs> fuck out. And everyone was like, Fuck you. Yeah. And they got marched out by gunpoint out of town. Horn ballpark, still there. Still as yeah. is. You see those old pictures of old ballparks and the way they're laid out? It's like an old picture of Yankee Stadium or something. That's the way it felt to me. I want to go to this town. I feel like I wanted to go to this town.
1: It, it looked beautiful. The hills and the way the houses were kind of set up, going up those hillsides, it was very interesting. It almost felt European in a way. And it's like a southwestern European or maybe one of those like... uh Old Native American villages built straight into the side of a cliff face or something.
0: And this is just one of those stories in American history that, like, maybe at best two sentences in a history book. Oh, totally. But if it even makes it into a history book. Yeah. It's just something tremendous. I think Arizona had only been a state for about seven years at this point. You ever hear about uh, Tulsa, the Black Wall Street? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The whole, whole black part of town just raised basically. Yeah. How. <laughs> I forget even what sparked it. It was like a nothing thing.
1: There was a black dude that was uh, in the local jail. I can't remember what he was accused of, but they knew that the black people in the town knew that there was going to be a lynch mob for this guy. So a bunch of the black residents uh, got their weapons and were posted up outside saying no you're not going to lynch this dude Yeah, gunfire yeah.
0: exercising their second amendment rights exactly
1: gunfire ensued and some white people died and you know what happens then
0: and then every white person literally burned down an oh, entire yeah. part of town it's just and one of the wealthiest black areas in the country yeah it on. was very vibrant too oh yes I, I wonder if there's a documentary about that oh, I'm sure I bet there there's is. like a PBS <laughs> thing you know yeah you know there's somewhere but uh, but yeah that's like a brutal story that I, I don't think I'd heard about until maybe a A
1: handful of years ago. Which is funny because I remember in the movie, I can't remember who said it, it was one of the apologists for the company. They were saying, How could could it have been this bad? Wouldn't somebody have talked about what happened then? How can all these people keep a secret? And I'm I'm thinking, It's not these people keeping a secret. They probably tried to tell everyone they could, but no one's going to write that. No one's going to put it in print. I mean, when a huge mining company basically wrecks
0: a strike by force they're not gonna like start putting that in the paper guess what guys we crush these kids well they were actively suppressing the information going exactly. out and everyone is complicit yeah so if everyone's complicit <laughs> that's like a thousand two thousand people are gonna go turn themselves in you know and also with that i don't think that white
1: culture in 1917 is gonna necessarily care that a bunch of like slavic people in. Latin American folks are getting pushed out of town. They're probably thinking, okay, great, let's move on.
0: They don't care about it now. I didn't yeah. know about this story until I watched <laughs> yeah. this movie.
1: It's true, fair point.
0: <laughs> and, you know, this is a beautiful documentary, but let's face it, most of the country's not going to watch this.
1: No, oh, we went to the theater, I think. there It was you, me, and maybe three other people.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if maybe it'll get a... I think it might, you know, not to jump too ahead of our rating, it might deserve... Uh, a nomination at the Oscars, I would say. Yeah,
1: I think it's one of these documentaries where I haven't seen anything like it. Just the way the director seamlessly brought in the people's regular lives, what they were doing for this, whatever they want to call this, this remembrance. It was very seamless, but also haphazard in a way, like purposely haphazard. Like you're seeing, like breaking the fourth wall in some respects.
0: Now, earlier in the summer of 1917... And this was my surface research. I don't want to be too informed. I, because I promised the listeners to just throw out uninformed opinions and judgments as much as possible. I do it for them. Mm -hmm. But did you know that they did a test deportation in another town called Jerome, Arizona? No, they did on July 5th, 1917. It was considered a test run for Bisbee and some mining supervisors and like a bunch of men that they whooped up about 250 people. They deported 100 plus union workers from that town. Wow. And so when they did that, that gave them the template to then be like, okay, we can actually, they did that over at Jerome. We can do it on a bigger scale. Get people from Douglas up in here. We can get all these Mexicans and Slavics out of this town. Why
1: is there always a pre-horrible thing? Like, Kind of like how before World War II they had
0: Guernica. It's like, oh, that's how you bomb the fuck out of a town. Cool, let's do that in a couple of years. (laughs) It's jacked up. But they go through this reenactment. Certain scenes go down. I love that there's like, at one point, I think it was a part of the crew of the documentary like a Mm -hmm. limousine was going down the street (laughs) yeah that was odd and they were interacting with like modern vehicles but acknowledging that they were there because they're acting but like we said it's not far it's not so removed that Mm -hmm. we don't know that there's still a documentary being filmed exactly it's like a documentary yeah like we said it seemed like it's behind the scenes of a of a reenactment Mm mm-hmm which it is actually
1: one part that made me chuckle is when they were striking and there are people just this guy driving his little toyota corolla or whatever and they're in his face like join the union and this dude's in the corolla thinking this union has not been here in <laughs> hundred of
0: years bro but yeah cars that go by they interact with them a lot of improv going on oh yeah they go out to the ballpark they do their spill then they start forcing all the hippies onto the car and then they drive them out. I don't know if they literally went to New Mexico, yeah. but they went somewhere. I think the border's only like seven miles away.
1: I feel like they just put them on the rail car, but then that young kid, Fernando, he went with somebody to the spot where they actually dropped the people off from the deportation, Yeah, which... seemed like he was pretty emotional about it. Fernando had a lot of emotional moments in that movie.
0: We see Fernando throughout this film. We see him going to the club. There is a little bit of nightlife. Yeah, that was cool. I mean, this is a pretty poor town now. And we're talking about at one point, this was like the richest town in Arizona. Yeah. Now it's the poorest. Now it's the poorest. But there is things that are going on. There is like a presence there. And it's interesting to see that balance with these citizens. And because there's a college there, it's a little college town as well. Yeah, it brings the young people in. And so they take them out to the desert, and then there's like a joke. There's like a jovial thing where they're congratulating each other and complimenting each other. It's like, right. wow, you're a, you were a really scary deporter. <laughs> yeah, and the dude's like, yep, and did a good job on that one. It's Like, yeah, I channeled my grand great grandfather on that
1: one, or I just you know acted the way I wish I could act every day. You know, <laughs> either way, whatever.
0: <laughs> and then and then the uh, people playing the deporters are like. But uh, we want to announce that the smelly, unvaccinated hippies cannot actually come back to Disney. Yeah. And so Fernando got to go back, but like the old white hippies, yeah. they were left out in the New Mexico. That was a right. real
1: shocking turn in that documentary.
0: Yeah. That, that was <laughs> when my morals were nuts. <laughs> <laughs> ended up being a hippie deportation.
1: Uh, dude, and then when they dumped all the patchouli out. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. The, patu- the patchouli. <laughs> So they just took axes
1: and were just like taking axes of these little patchouli bottles it's crazy
0: it was nice that they packed up all their crystals yeah the crystals Florida. were very expertly packed that went because I believe uh turquoise crystals mm-hmm. is like that's as good as drinking water so mm-hmm. they should be fine yeah they're, they're good don't worry about these figs they have the crystals that's all they need <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: god it Hey, you, oh. started, you started this. Eldridge. <laughs> oh, you motherfucker. Eldridge. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll edit it out. Eldridge. <laughs> Fix it in post. <laughs> yeah, I hope I didn't call you by your real name. I like calling you Eldridge. It feels good. Isn't Eldridge the name of Bill Cosby's son-in-law in the Cosby show?
1: Elvin. Possibly. I think there's an Eldridge civil rights leader, too, something or other.
0: Eldridge Cleaver? Yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. <laughs> he became a leader of the Black Panther Party. Hey, there we go. There's a good American experience. Uh, Mm. about the Black Panther Party. Of course there is. America experiences everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh. (laughs) Oh, you (laughs) motherfucker. I got to put in beeps. (laughs) Eldridge, thank you Hmm. so much for joining me. Yeah, it's great. And I know you know this because you've been a supporter since the beginning.
1: Day number one.
0: And I think it's cool if in the future you would join me again for these in theater versions. I like these. Yeah, they're fun. And I think it's the in theater versions. They're, they're a little different. Mm -hmm. So I think it, you could come off emotions and have real raw conversations, but Eldridge, we don't rate in a star rating scale. That's for the mining companies. We're with the international workers what are they called again industrial workers of the world the herzog is on the side of the oppressed
1: you're on that new new
0: you're gonna give this one through five herzogs i'm gonna give this one through five herzogs then we will come together we will reunify this country man go vote because this will come out right before election Ooh, good plug please vote sometimes we get a little tired maybe we got a little lazy in the past we took things for granted and I think what's going on now should remind us not to take things for granted. So go vote. Mm-hmm. And also, Aaron, how you how you feel about this movie, Bisbee 17 by Robert Greene.
1: Ooh, first Hertzog. Be, be cautious on it because are some things I have problems with.
0: I'm going to give it a four out of five Hertzogs. Interesting. Four out of five. So what, what drops it down for you a little bit? Doesn't drop much. Doesn't drop much.
1: I feel like a four is a solid rating. Yeah, yeah. But what held it down for me was, okay, this thing clocks in just under two hours, maybe a couple minutes under two hours. Hey, guys, can we just maybe take 20 minutes, give us a little more little more, uh, set setup, a little bit of preamble before we get into this? Because I'm sitting here wondering, well, what really did happen here? What was going on? Why are we just uh, learning things secondhand from everybody in the movie? I feel like I don't have a good footing in reality. I think maybe that was a conscious choice by the director. But it was a choice I didn't really appreciate. Interesting.
0: Well, I think you're totally right. It did run a little long. There's some very drug out walking scenes that we didn't need that much of it. It added nothing to the artistry or the story. But you're right. I did want to know more about this. But I think it may be to the credit of this movie that it makes me actually want to read some books on this and find out more about this. Up to the middle of the 20th century, a lot of Mexican-Americans were deported. Some who were born in the country were deported in the 20s following the dust bowl and the great depression mm-hmm. and they were forced out by american workers and of course you know politicians are race baiting in there somewhere mm-hmm. and uh blaming uh you know uh, it's not unlike now we get machines and shit taking our jobs non-whites are being blamed for it truth is for the last 10 years immigration has been yeah. going down it's a timely documentary going down yeah. i don't care what what your your uncle's email tells you <laughs> that long chain email with eight thousand people on the CC line <laughs> before before the current president came into office, immigration was at its all time low. That's right. What was I going to say? Uh, this is a beautiful movie. It this, is. This is a gorgeous movie. I've never seen anything like this movie. The way they're they're, they're playing this role, but we're all yeah. the cameras also removed from it. It's bizarre, and. um I think I'm going to give this a 4.5. Solid. I think for the reasons you gave, I can't go too perfect. felt like for a minute there, when we were in the theater watching this, I was like, is this so far? This is going on perfect. Yeah. But then you're right. It does drag a little bit, but I think I got a little, just slightly more out of it than you did. I think so. But that's a damn fine score. You take your four Herzogs, combine them with my 4.5 Hertzogs. This is an 8.5 Hertzog movie. It's a solid B. That's like a B plus. Yeah, I would take that B if I was in school. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I did take it. <laughs> yeah, I took it up. I bragged about it. <laughs> yeah, showed
1: it to my mom but as we put it on
0: their refrigerator. Check it out. Bisbee 17 by Robert Greene, 8.5 out of 10 Hertzog. Eldridge. Bobby. Let's do this again. Let's do it again. Uh, there's um, a movie I want to see called Hell County.
1: It looks pretty righteous. I feel like it relates very closely to my family's... Uh, Sort of background, at least on the, my father's side.
0: So there you go. That's an in theaters preview. I think we're going to hear from you again very soon. I hope you all like these occasional Friday drops because I like doing them. And, you know, I love doing this show. And if you love us and if you appreciate us, give us five stars and a quick review on iTunes. It's very helpful to us. It helps people who appreciate film find us and people who. Like podcasts and film find us. And for those who have given us five stars in a review on Apple Podcasts, I wish I could just hold you in my arms like a little baby mm. and wean you on my milk. <laughs> you just gag. I'm, I'm
1: not gonna touch that. I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. You're gagging. Oh my god. I have a strong <laughs> gag reflex.
0: I have none. What are you doing later? <laughs> <laughs> Eating hot wings. Uh, <laughs> and you can follow us on social media or Instagram and Facebook at Documenteers. Oh, there's a uh, 8-Tracks playlist. They're back. Oh, up-to-date. hello. Long-time listeners might remember that. Uh, I team up with Dr. Eugene Fudge, and we make 10-track playlists on 8 That's the number 8 in the mm-hmm. word tracks.com. Mm-hmm. Look up Documenteers there, and you can see short playlists, unofficial soundtracks to each documenteers episode that we have done. By the time you hear this, they should be pretty well up to date. I don't think this episode will be out by that point. The playlists for this episode are pretty much all up to last Tuesday at the time of this drop.
1: Keep Dr. Fudge in your hearts. He's been having a rough year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's ever since that, the center burned down. Yeah. Those are old stories. You'd have to listen to old yeah. episodes to understand. Yeah. That's that's for the old time. Old heads. But I help him out a little bit, and uh, he lives in my garage. Sad fuck. Is that what that smell is? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. I wish they deport that hippie. <laughs> oh. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. That patchouli and BL smell is just so hard to get over. All right, folks. Lift each other up, and don't uh, force people out of your town at gunpoint. It ain't right. Eldridge, thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. And keep on docking. Yay! What are they called again? The IWW.
1: We are talking about. uh, uh, Make sure you keep all those I's in there.
0: Everybody's working.